Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. I want to join Pastor Stephen and welcome you today to Celebration Online. Again, we're so glad that you've joined us no matter where you're joining us from. We want you to know that we care about you. If there's any way we can pray for you, serve you, help you, or assist you, please let us know. Pastor Stephen will let you know how to do that at the end of today's service. Now, if you have your Bible or Bible app, I want you to turn me today to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. For several weeks, we've been in a series based on God's top 10 commandments that are found in the Old Testament. 10 commandments that help us to live healthier, happier, and holier lives. And today, we're, we find ourselves at the seventh commandment, which is five words, and here's what they say. They're challenging words. They're convicting words. God says you must not commit adultery. You must not commit adultery. I was thinking of a pastor friend of mine one time who was preaching on the second coming of Jesus. And he had done a lot of preparation, a lot of study, and he was so passionate about that subject. And he presented that sermon with great, with great excellence and great uh, fervor. At the end of the service, a lot of people came forward to give their lives to the Lord. But, but the pastor's son, 16-year-old son, who was living a godly life, was at the back of the worship center just weeping. His mother walked up to him and asked him, son, why are you weeping? Are you concerned about the second coming of Jesus? He said, no, mom, I'm glad that Jesus is coming back again. But But would you pray with me that Jesus doesn't come back until I get married and have sex? She knew from his response what he was thinking about, what he had done, and what he hadn't done. And uh, she knew, she knew that she needed to pray for her son. The truth of the matter is, not just that young man, but a lot of people in our world are mesmerized by the thoughts of sex. In fact, we live what I call, we live in what I call a sex-crazy world. Teenagers are crazy about sex as they view the lives, uh, the romantic lives of their celebrity heroes and as they get involved in pornography and all those kinds of things. Men really struggle with sexual issues in their lives. So do women. In fact, sex is one of the big challenges of today's world, whether it's the music that we listen to or the billboards that we see or the movies that we watch or the television programs that we, that we view. All the time, there are these sexual themes running to them that oftentimes are tempting us They're tempting us to do things that are in opposition to God's words, you shall not commit adultery. Now, I want to tell you that sex is not a bad thing. In fact, sex is God's idea. The Bible says that God's not against sex because sex is God's idea. In fact, the Bible says in the beginning, God created man and woman, and he gave them the capacity to have sex and encourage them to do so. Oh, what a great God we have. God created sex in the very beginning. And the Bible says that after God created everything, men and women and their sexuality, God declared this is good. We also discovered, however, that the Bible tells us that sex is one of the blessings from God that he expects us, he intends for us to experience in the relationship of marriage. It's reserved for the relationship of marriage that that any type of sex outside of the marriage between a man and a woman is a no-no in the eyes of the Lord. That's why you shall not commit adultery. You must not commit adultery is in the Ten Commandments. Now, the word adultery technically refers to a married person having sex with someone who's not their spouse, but it can also be a reference to other sexual activity as well, sex before marriage, sex with a person of the same gender, sex with animals, etc. All these things are at times referred to as adultery in the Bible, in the Word of God. And God says, don't do that. Don't be engaged in those kind of activities outside of the relationship of marriage. Now, 
the American public is apparently, however, in opposition to God's will and God's way and God's word. They're apparently in favor of adultery and immorality. Uh, the uh, 19, uh, 2012 study by the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy discovered that 57% of men and 54% of women admitted to infidelity in a relationship. I wonder how many didn't admit to that. And then a Sex in America University of Chicago survey discovered that one out of four Americans said extramarital sex is okay, and 80% of Americans say that sex before marriage is okay. So the question for you and I is this. Are we going to believe and follow in the ways of the world, or are we going to believe in and follow in the, the ways of the Lord? Now, some who are participating in this service today have already succumbed to the lust of the flesh and the ways of the world. The purpose of this message is not to shame you, but to strengthen you, to enable you to to live for the Lord so you don't mess up like that again. Some of you are also thinking, I'm thinking, uh, I'm following the ways of the Lord. I haven't even come close to having a physical affair. That's good, but you still need to lean in and learn from today's message because people don't just commit adultery in physical ways. People also commit adultery mentally, especially when they're involved in pornography. Uh, many people have spent lots of time fantasizing about sex or viewing pornography that causes them to have adulterous thoughts that will eventually lead them into adulterous activities. Pornography, let me tell you, is every bit as addictive as crack cocaine or as heroin, and you can't walk with God and live a pure life as long as pornography is a part of your life. People also commit adultery emotionally by getting involved in emotional relationships and affairs with someone other than their spouse. And people also commit adultery verbally by engaging in sensual or provocative flirting with someone who is not their spouse. So if you haven't gotten involved in adultery physically, I'm glad and the Lord's glad and I'm sure your spouse is glad. But understand this, there are all kind of ways to be involved in adulterous activities and the Lord says, don't do that. You must not commit adultery. In fact, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 4. It says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people. It doesn't say God may judge people. It says God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So let's address the following question. What are some of the problems that are caused by immorality or adultery? And what steps can we take to live godly lives in the sexual arena of life? To begin with, living sexually faithful lives requires understanding the great problems that are caused by immorality, the great problems that are caused by unfaithfulness. I've had many people say to me, Pastor, if there's one thing I'll never do is I'll never cheat on my spouse, I'll never commit adultery. And later on, those same people, some of those same people had to come back and confess to me they had done exactly what they said they would never do. How does that happen? How does somebody who seemingly is committed to fidelity be a part of infidelity in a relationship? Well, there's some steps that lead us to situations and circumstances like that. It begins with enjoying common interests with the person we're attracted to, and then sharing personal information with that person, and then having private meetings with the person that we're attracted to, and, and then hiding that relationship from our spouse. It continues with flirting with minor physical touches, and, and then making up excuses to call or to meet the other person, and then lying about our meetings, and, and then eventually all of that will lead to engaging in sexual activities. It's a progression that we find ourselves fall into if we're not careful if we're not prepared, author Ellen Williams says, if you're thinking to yourself, an affair could never happen to me, you are in trouble. To believe that we are immune leaves us wide open and unprotected. 
We find that truth to be illustrated for us in the life of a man named David. You know the story of David in the Bible. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. He was a slayer of the giant Goliath. He was a military leader of Israel. He, he became the greatest king of the nation of Israel. And for most of his life, much of his life, David was a godly man. But one time while his troops were at war, the Bible says David sent, stayed behind in Jerusalem. And late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. He looked down and saw a woman bathing. She was a beautiful woman. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told that she is the Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Knowing that she was married, David still sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, the Bible says he slept with her. And when you read the rest of the story, you'll discover that David's decision and his subsequent actions brought devastation to his life, to Bathsheba, and to her life, and their family, and to others' lives as well. There's some things we learn from David's missteps that will help us to avoid those same missteps in the future. First of all, we learn from David's story that immoral failures bring displeasure to God. The Bible says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, I'm sure you're glad to have the Lord in your life. We're grateful for the Lord's presence and the Lord's peace and the Lord's provision and the Lord's protection and for the Lord's purposes he has for our lives. But let me tell you, all of those things that we're grateful for, all the benefits we receive from the Lord, they come with a price tag. And the moment we turn away from God's will and God's way to do our thing, our way, especially when it involves immorality, we are removing ourselves from the peace and provision and protection of the Lord. Moral failures also bring difficulty to our lives. In David's story, right away, he had to deal with the difficulty of Bathsheba becoming pregnant from their trice, and then he had to deal with her husband Uriah. And because he was in sin, he dealt with everything wrongfully, and in doing so brought all kinds of problems and tragedies to his life and his family. We learn from David's story that immoral failures can and will bring physical problems to our lives. In Psalm 38, David said, And because of this, there's no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. David was obviously struggling with some health issues because he had disobeyed God and gotten involved in adultery. I probably don't need to even lecture you today about the diseases that can be contracted when people experience moral failure in their lives. Moral failures can and will bring psychological problems to our lives. David said in Psalm 38, 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. One prominent psychologist said that most people in our, and most people, our anxiety comes not from acts that an individual wants to commit, but does not commit, but from acts he or she has committed and wishes they never committed. When people get involved in adultery later on, has a psychological burden upon their life. And moral failures can and will bring financial problems to our lives. One time Solomon was lecturing his son about, uh, uh, about staying away from immorality. He was warning him about the consequences of giving in to the temptation of adultery. He said in Proverbs 5, you will lose to merciless people all you've achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. I could share with you many testimonies of people who've lost all kind of, uh, all kind of financial, uh, all kind of finances in their businesses because they wouldn't stay strong and keep themselves pure. And then immoral failures can and will bring relational problems to our lives. David said in Psalm 38, 11, my friends and companions avoid me and my neighbors stay far away from me. Immoral failures can cause you to lose the respect of your family members and your friends and, and the respect of others as well. And then immoral failures can and will bring spiritual problems to our lives. In Psalm 51, David was trying to deal with what he had done. He said to the Lord, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Please restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
You see, what David discovered, what we all have to understand is that sin drives a wedge between us and God, and it creates all kind of chaos, all kind of craziness, all kind of challenges for us in our lives. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And let me tell you, when you get involved in immorality, you get engaged in a war. War is the absence of peace. War involves continual conflict. Uh, War uh, takes a lot of people down. That's exactly what you experience if you ever get involved in an immoral failure. You experience guilt and uneasiness and unhappiness and many more negative things. Someone said to me one time, we don't break God's commandments. They break us. And there's a great deal of truth in that statement. Moral failure also brings devastation to others' lives. The Lord said to David in 2 Samuel 12, verse 10, From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your wise wife to be your own. And from that time on, David's family was plagued by sin and heartbreak and even death. In 2 Samuel 12, 14, we discover that a child born to David and Bathsheba died. In 2 Samuel 13, we read of the sexual failures among David's children who were following his example. In 2 Samuel 15, we, we read of the rebellion of his son Absalom who killed his own half-brother. And in 2 Samuel 18, we read of Absalom's death. Listen, immoral failures may bring pleasure for a moment, but they will bring problems and tragedy for a lifetime. Immoral failures will leave scars, that can never be healed and will lead to consequences that can never be undone. One of the most foolish things we can ever do is break the seventh commandment. It costs us and costs others so much in our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price, so you must Honor God with your body. When I was a boy growing up, one of my set of grandparents had a floor furnace in their home. And they warned me, Dennis, uh, back in those days I ran around barefooted all the time. And so they warned me, Dennis, don't step on this floor furnace in your bare feet. Well, somehow I had the thought that they were warning me about that because they were trying to keep me from having fun. I thought maybe. There's a lot of pleasure that comes from stepping on this floor furnace in bare feet. Uh, Maybe when I'm not here, they just take off their socks and shoes and jump up and down on the floor furnace. So one time when they weren't looking, I took off my socks and shoes and I put my foot on that floor furnace and burned off almost the, the bottom of my entire foot. Oh, it hurts so much. You see, my grandparents weren't telling me to stay away from the floor furnace because they were trying to keep me from fun. Uh, they were trying to, they were telling me that because they wanted to keep me from being hurt, getting hurt. God doesn't tell us to stay away from immorality because he wants to keep us from having fun. He tells us to stay away from immorality because he wants to keep us and keep others from getting hurt. So living sexual, sexually faithful lives requires understanding there are some great, great problems caused by immorality. But also living sexual faithful lives requires developing some godly practices in our lives. There's some steps we can take, some things we can do to affair-proof our relationships, to affair-proof our marriages, to help us be strong in the face of temptation. Let me give you some of those steps quickly. We can avoid and overcome immorality by making a commitment to God's standards. I've had a lot of people ask me, well, why do people cheat on their spouse or engage in some type of immorality? 
I've thought about that question. I've come to believe that people become involved in immorality because of infatuation, because of insecurity, because of immaturity, because of ignorance, because of impulsiveness, because of lust, and, and, and most of the time because of self-centeredness. Primarily, we get involved in immorality as Christians because we're not committed to putting God first. That's the first commandment. We're not committed to putting God first, and we're not committed to living by God's standards. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, how can a young person stay pure? And the answer is by obeying your word, O God, by staying committed to your standards. Think about the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph had been beaten up by his brothers, rejected by his brothers, sold by those own brothers into slavery. But there as a slave in Egypt, he had risen up to become the top manager in his slave owner's home. And the Bible says that about that time, Potiphar's wife came to him because he was handsome and good looking. And she said to him, I think you ought to have an affair with me. And Joseph could have thought to himself, man, I deserve to have some fun after all I've been through. But instead, he said, giving into your suggestions would be a sin against your husband and against my God. So instead, he ran to get away from that temptation. Why did Joseph run? Because he was committed to living by God's standards. He was committed to living by the principles found in God's word. He was committed to living by this commandment. And the Lord ultimately blessed him greatly because he was committed to living by God's standards. We can avoid and overcome immorality also by magnifying the consequences of immorality. When tempted with immorality, we need to uh, remind ourselves of the damage and destructions that will negatively impact our lives, our family members' lives, and others' lives if we give in to that temptation. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. That's a promise from the Lord. Listen, I know that some of you are in difficult marriages and tough situations. And, and maybe the relationship that you're in is not satisfying. But listen, the cost of maintaining or restoring or revitalizing your marriage is far, far less than the costs that come with adultery. In fact, I tell men all the time, there's a terribly high cost for low living. Don't, don't try to pay that cost. And then we can avoid and overcome immorality by majoring on our spouse's needs. Here's what I've discovered. A growing relationship with one's spouse will reduce the pull and attraction of adultery. We've got to understand our spouse's needs and focus on meeting those needs. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what are my spouse's needs? Willard Hawley, a marriage counselor, wrote the book, His Needs, Her Needs. It was really helpful to me in my marriage. In the book, he talked about the needs of most men. He said the top five needs of most men are this. Number one, sexual fulfillment. Everybody knows that. Number two, recreational companionship. Men want a wife, a companion who will do things with them. Number three, and a practice spouse. Number four, vocational support. And number five, admiration. Let me tell you something, ladies. Uh, admiration and respect to a man is to a man what romance is to a woman. And sometimes men get involved in immorality because they feel disrespected or demeaned, belittled by the woman in their life. Then Woodland Holly wrote about the needs of most women. He said, women want affection and attention. They want to know that they march at the head of one man's parade. Women want conversation. I don't know why God made a lot of women with a need to talk about almost every detail of their lives, but that's how God made them. Women want honesty and openness. They want financial support. And women want family commitment. You see, we men had, we had a part in bringing those children to the world, and women expect us to help take care of those children. Now, do you see any similarities in those two lists between the needs of men and the needs of women? No. 
No wonder we have problems in our marriage relationships. So we got to learn about one another. We got to learn how to encourage our spouse and minister to their needs. And we men, we especially need to spend a lot of time learning how to do that. Peter said, you husband must give honor to your wives and treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Now, here's the goal. You got to work on becoming best friends with your spouse. And when you do that, you will learn how to meet each other's needs and it will go a long way towards a fair proofing your marriage. Someone asked a couple one time, a Hollywood couple that had married a long time. And you know, that never happens in Hollywood. They asked them how they had been married in, uh, for such a long time when both of them had been actors in, in, the Hollywood, uh, in, the Hollywood, in Hollywood. And the wife said this. She said, it's easy to leave your spouse. It's sometimes easy to leave your spouse. But it's never easy to leave your best friend. You got to build a friendship with your spouse. To fair proof your marriage. So how do you build a friendship? There are two ways to do that. Spending time together and talking together. You can't be best friends with someone you don't spend time with. And you can't be best friends with someone you don't talk to. You got to do that and you got to learn how to meet one another's needs. And then we can avoid and overcome immorality by managing our mind. I'm telling you, the battle is in the mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so does he. And the Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In other words, the more we think about ungodly things, the more we will do ungodly things. But the more we think about godly things, the more we will invest ourselves in godly actions and godly relationships. That's why it's important to pray and read your Bible and listen to worship music and all that. Keeps your mind focused on things above. We can also avoid and overcome immorality by maintaining proper boundaries in our relationships. It says in Ephesians 5.3, let there be no sexual morality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. In other words, don't, don't confide your deepest thoughts or emotions with a member of the opposite sex. Don't get into intimate or flirting conversations with someone who's not your spouse. Don't go fishing for compliments, and, and don't be looking to hand out compliments. Be aware of and resistant towards any sense of uh, electricity between you and somebody else. Somebody said to me one time after they had fallen and failed, they said, there was so much electricity between us. And I said, yeah, but electricity kills. Don't do that. And then we can avoid and overcome immorality by meeting with accountability partners like we have in our life groups here at Celebration Church, and we can avoid and overcome immorality by mastering godliness in our lives. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Not the world, not your flesh, not your desires. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see, every day we can purpose in our hearts that we're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, that we're going to live for the Lord and we're going to become more like Jesus in our attitude, our ambitions, our actions, and the relationships of our lives. Someone saw a Cajun guy in South Louisiana with an alligator, uh, with a necklace of alligator teeth around his neck. He had wrestled and killed an alligator and taken the teeth to make a necklace. Uh, That person said to him, those alligator teeth are like the pearls that an oyster fisherman collects from oysters. And the the Cajun guy was kind of offended. He said, listen, anybody can open an oyster. Well, he's saying anybody can open an oyster, but not everybody can wrestle and defeat an alligator. Listen, anybody can give in to temptation or immorality. But God's called you and me to be mighty men and women of God who love the Lord, who live for the Lord, who are led by the Holy Spirit of God. And when, we, when we're led by the Holy Spirit of God, we won't be doing what our sinful nature craves, and we will experience God's best in our life and the relationships of our lives. Now, listen to me carefully. Affairs happen. 
Even in good marriages, even in Christian marriages, they happen because someone cares far more about themselves than about the others they profess to love in their lives. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like self-centered people. You don't like self-centered people. I think it's safe to say God doesn't like self-centered people. Nobody likes self-centered people, so don't be a self-centered individual. Focus on loving God, loving people, living godly, meeting your spouse's needs, being led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, you will more than likely find yourself having a satisfying relationship with a person you're married to, and you'll find yourself obeying this seventh commandment. Some years ago, the top, some of the top quarterbacks in the National Football League here in North America were Roger Staubach of the Dallas Cowboys and Joe Willie Namath of the New York Jets. They were contemporaries. They were both successful in many different ways, but they lived completely different lifestyles. Roger Staubach was a committed Christian who was committed to his wife. Joe Namath, was a, yeah, he was a single guy. I don't think he ever got married. He was a single guy who went from one woman to one woman to one woman to one woman. And oftentimes his... His sexual life was the subject of the news and the media. Somebody asked Roger Staubach one time what he thought about all, these, all the talk about Joe Willie Namath and his sexual escapades. And here's what he said. He said, I think I'm having as much sex as Joe Namath is. I'm just having it with the same woman. It was obvious. He was living a more satisfying life than Joe Namath was living. I'm telling you, if you do things God's way, if you live by this commandment, You'll experience a better life, a more blessed life than those who are disobeying this commandment. Several years ago, a secular woman's magazine questioned 100,000 women about their sex lives. It was an incredible, extensive survey. 100,000 women. The most astonishing finding from the survey was the discovery of a direct link between sexual satisfaction and religious commitment. And the survey showed that no matter what the age, education, or income of the respondents... Women who describe themselves as strongly religious are far more likely to describe their sex lives as highly satisfying than their non-religious counterparts. Here's what they said to me. When we do things God's way, it's the best way. When we do things God's way, it's the blessed way. It's hard to remain sexually pure. I know it's hard, but not nearly as hard as dealing with what people have to deal with when they break the seventh commandment from God, it says, you shall not commit adultery. And some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, it's really hard. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm telling you, if you'll put into life the principles I've just shared with you about, about making a commitment to godly standards all the way down to mastering godly I'm telling you, you'll be able to stay strong in your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others. And you'll be able to avoid breaking this commandment. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, my life has been so broken. My poor choices uh, my poor choices in this area of life. I don't think I'll ever recover. Yeah. You know, your words remind me of the children's poem, Humpty Dumpty. Remember that poem? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't put our lives back together. But let me tell you, the king can. King Jesus can. If you will turn to him and trust in him, he will forgive you of your sins. He will free you from the struggles and strongholds of your life. He will bring renewed joy and peace and purpose to your life. He'll give you satisfaction that the world and no one else can bring to your life. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and following. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who indulge in sexual sin 
or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people. None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you'll turn to the Lord and trust in him, he can forgive you and free you and transform you. And not only transform you, but transform the relationships of your life. I want you to bow with me right now. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to remind you of what Jesus said. Jesus said the devil's purpose is to steal our joy and kill our testimony and destroy our lives. That's John 10, 10. He said the devil's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to commit to believing Jesus and not believing the devil. I want you to commit to living by the word of God and not by the ways of the world. I want you to commit to trusting God to take care of all the needs of your life, including those emotional and sexual needs of your life. I want you to commit to living by and obeying this commandment from the Lord. Because when you do, you will discover that God's way is the best way for your life. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And let me just tell you, you can't live like that. You can't be strong enough until you're fully committed to the Lord. If you're not fully committed to the Lord, if you've never been born again, if you're not fully committed to the Lord right now with our heads bowed, would you just pray with me in your heart? You say, what do I pray, Pastor? Just pray these words and really mean them. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Today I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin and to free me from the struggles and strongholds of my life. I believe what you said. The devil has come to steal my joy and kill my testimony and destroy my life and the relationships of my life. But you've come to bring me a rich and satisfying life. And so today, I want to commit my life fully and completely to you. I ask you to forgive me, free me, change me, and enable me and empower me to love you, live for you, and be led by the Spirit of God so I can have victory in this area of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.